All right, here we go. All right, we're rolling. All right, welcome back. Uh, welcome to Liner Notes podcast number two. Um, my name is Tim Whitmire. I'm with uh, Chuck Price, and we've actually, from behind the producer's board, we've uh, given him an, his own mic this time. Uh, Frank, Which is Frank probably dangerous. Doa Schwartz. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going by Doa full time now? That, no. No? No. Okay. We'll call you Frank. I, we'll call you Frank. I'm going to go ahead and appreciate that in advance. <laughs> okay. Um, well, like I said, welcome back, guys. Um, we uh, we really appreciate all the positive feedback about the first uh, first podcast we put out there uh, in January. So we've uh, we've decided to go ahead and do another one. Um, and I want to kind of give you a quick sense of what the plan is here. We had, like I said, a lot of positive feedback, and uh, surprisingly so. Surprisingly, yeah. And uh, and and we've got a lot of ideas about different places uh, we want to take this, and we definitely want to hear your ideas as well. So the very first thing I'm going to say is. If you have ideas for us, email us at linerpodcast at gmail.com. Liner, L-I-N-E-R-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Um, that'll come straight to uh, to the three of us, and uh, you can get your comments in there or your thoughts. So watch your feedback. Um, and then our thought was, let's go ahead and do four or five more episodes, uh, just the, the two or three of us, um, based on the ideas we've had and then we're going to start taking suggestions from the crowd and, uh, and maybe start having some guests as well. But we felt like this was the best way for us to kind of develop our own voice for the podcast and then kind of go from there and figure out where, what directions it goes. But rest assured, we got plenty of ideas, plenty of things we want to talk about. So uh, thank you for the support. And uh, if you like what we're doing, let us know. So um, on that note, uh, uh, today we want to do something that's both topical, but also links back to, uh, to the Christmas mixes that we talked about last time with Sweeper. And, um, that was, that was something, one of the things I've always loved a lot about the, uh, the Christmas mixes, Chuck, is that almost every year you've got some sort of cover song on there. Um, which to me has always been kind of an intriguing thing because it's, you know, a cover is always a good chance to reinterpret a song that you thought you knew in the first place. So I guess the first thing I'd want to do, you know, we're going to sort of do go back and forth about covers for this episode and, and the nature of the cover song. But um, first thing I'd ask you is what's your definition of a cover song that, that usually yells out to be included on the annual mix? I love me some covers. Um, it's interesting. I went back through, I went back through all the mixes and realized the first one came out in 2001, but the first cover did not appear till 2004, okay. and it was a pseudo cover. I guess you'd call what it a semi cover. So Wagon Wheel yeah. by Old Crow yeah. Medicine Show, who we're going to come back to later in the show, is a they you know wagon wheels technically a cover but it's more of an expansion of an old it's, dylan it's, song yeah, it's an outtake from a dylan song or session or something yeah, like so that. so it's kind of a cover but they really did make it their own yeah. and they had to give songwriting credit so i don't know if that's necessarily a cover but then and this is where we'll probably go on talking about kind of good covers and then of course you know hootie darius rucker um covered the well, cover right um and made it and i always kind of chuckle when people look at covers or hear a cover and think that's the either that's an original but when you cover a cover that's when you're going down <laughs> it's kind of like when i see cover bands co when cover bands cover like gin and juice yeah the gourds version yeah yeah you're covering a cover that's true yeah don't do that. i never thought about that yeah don't cover a cover <laughs> make it your own um 
So anyway. is that your rule? Is that your rule? Yeah, you yeah. Your and like, yeah, you got to make it your own. And you and I talked about this before. Like, um, you know, kind of my, the standards are, I think you got to make it your own. While a lot are, I, I think it can't be too kind of ironic kitschy or kind of wink wink look at us covering this song like i appreciate the ones where they are earnestly trying it's obviously when people are playing a song that they obviously love and they want to pay homage or do do it right um so it but it can't be too dead on it can't just be a recitation of the song well so what's what's the famous example of that from last year um weezer doing toto added i mean oh added nothing to the musical world because they just stood up there and played the song almost note for note and and same with this cover album they released like two weeks ago it's same thing same thing i mean they do do i give them credit they do elo's blue sky mr blue sky which is just a very hard song to cover because of all the um key changes and and but i was impressed by the kind of Technical wizardry. The technical wizardry, but it added nothing to it. And I I, I, I got to jump in on that yeah. on that Africa thing because people were so excited. I, there, there were about two weeks before it actually came out when people were talking about, oh, Weezer's going to cover Africa, and I was I'll admit being pretty excited because, in my view, Africa is one of the all time great pop songs. Yeah. It is. Um, there's so many things about that song that are so awesome, but then you get there and you realize that all the great things about that song are because of it's the way Toto did them the first time and there's nothing to add and like I, I, I love you Rivers Cuomo but like you're really not bringing that much to the table here yeah um, it's interesting talking about kind of the you know and I think Weezer was trying to be probably in that ironic kitschy wink wink look at us covering Toto um, I, one of my favorite examples where I think it it bounced back and bit somebody was so a few years ago apparently the Foo Fighters who I do love and actually have done some nice covers um, one of them made the Christmas mix them doing Kim Wilde's um, Kids in America oh yeah yep. um, they were covering on tour years ago they were closing with Prince's Darling Nikki And, but I think, you know, Dave Grohl's kind of got this smart-assness to him. Yeah. And I don't know if they were meaning to play it a little kitschy and wink-wink and, oh, look at us covering Prince. And if some people might remember this, later that, well, that next February, Prince played the Super Bowl. And he came out and, you know, probably one of the top three Super Bowl performances ever, yeah. and he went through his medley of hits. But right in the middle of, like, you know, before he closed with Purple Rain, but right in the middle, like Little Red Corvette, all of a sudden he breaks into the Foo Fighters' Best of You. For like <laughs> eight measures worth. And absolutely crushes it. And I remember we all kind of looked at each other like, Wait, it's, and, and, the, and Best of You was like their current single at the time. Yeah. And it was kind of like, wait, this is kind of random that he's A, covering the Foo Fighters, and B, this song, which was kind of a hit, but not the hit. Right. 
And then later, I actually saw an interview. It might have been uh, uh, Stern with uh, Dave Grohl, Grohl yeah. and asked him about it. And Grohl basically fessed up that he heard that Prince was not thrilled with how they were covering him. So he busted out their current song and absolutely crushed it. And Dave Grohl basically said, we got the message, which was Prince saying, you can play my songs, but I can play your songs better than you can play your songs. Which was pretty much the Prince M.O. Which was Anything you can do, I can do better. That's the famous, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, clip that Chuck has written about extensively. When he comes out, they're they're all playing uh, George Harrison's While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And he comes out and just blows everybody else off the stage. And, you know, if if I'm looking at my notes, um, you know, the funny thing with Prince is, you know, he's been often covered. Like, you know, uh, Dwight Yoakam covered Purple Rain on the 2016 mix. But then... You know, Sinead, yep, nothing, um, nothing compares to you. Cindy Lauper doing When You Were Mine. Mm. Crooked Fingers doing When You Were Mine. Wasn't necessarily, and then we kind of get into when your definition of a cover. Is it a cover? Does the, I guess the original person probably needs to record it for yeah. somebody to cover it versus somebody just writing it. Because, like, Prince wrote Manic Monday. Right. The Bengals. But never recorded. But he never played it. Never recorded. But, yeah. like, but, but that's, like, I, I just love that fun fact because it just shows you what it just amazing badass Prince was. Okay. Anyway. So, so before we go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Well, I have Prince a quick question before. Yeah. Idiot question over here. Um, do you have to get permission? Um, yeah. If you, if you cover it live, you don't. Okay. If you if if you know if we are in a band and we played live, don't don't. If, if I you, record it, for if you record it and sell it, you've got to pay royalties. Okay. And that's well, and and I want to circle back to this at the end. But one of the things I find very interesting about that is, and you'll see it in our lists. Um, there's an interplay. Country music artists seem to be much more comfortable covering each other and other yeah. people. And I th- my theory on that is that has a lot to do with the Nashville system, which is a song gets written and then it gets shopped around Absolutely. to everyone. It's a songwriter's town. Right. Whereas with rock and roll, there's sort of this singer-songwriter, more this singer-songwriter mentality, like I'm going to write the stuff that I play and it's going to be kind of my personal property. And for somebody to come along and take that and make that their own is somehow wrong or different in a way that yeah. that it's not in, uh, in country music. So Yeah. Like, we, I mean... Like a good example was one of my all time one of my all time favorite covers, um, Johnny Cash doing Nine Inch Nails Hurt. Yes. I hurt myself today. Um, Trent Reznor apparently was not thrilled Didn't with like that. it, yeah. yeah. Um, and then finally came around, and I joke, I think he came around when he realized that Cash actually probably wrote the song in a 30 years before, and he just didn't write. Re- That's another <laughs> thing that I love about a good cover is when somebody makes it their own to the point that, like, if you never knew the Nine Inch Nails version, you would yeah. say, of course Johnny Cash wrote this song. And the way he plays it and the way he kind of bleeds it out. I mean, it's probably top five favorite cover of mine. And that's not to send you to another music podcast, but actually the um, uh, the podcast that Malcolm Gladwell's been doing with oh, Rick yeah. Rubin. Yeah. Broken um, Record. Broken Record. Uh, Rubin talks uh, on one of the episodes about those sessions with Johnny Cash. And, and, uh, and we're going to come back to another artist that Rubin worked with as well. So he, he pops up a lot on this. Goes away. In the air. 
And you could have it all My empire of dirt I will let you down I will make you so. so anyway, those were my kind of... And I know you've got thoughts on... I've got on, thoughts. On <laughs> thoughts on what makes a good cover. Yeah, I mean, my my theory basically, I mean, first of all, like, why the Weezer, you know, why the Weezer cover of Africa sucked. Like, yeah. do something different. Do something different. Um, and uh, um, beyond that, it, it really is, It's it's got to have that. It's got to have that change of pace to mm-hmm. it, um, that that different. And one of the, one of the ones I like a lot is when a lot of times a female artist takes a song that's been sung by a male artist and turns it around, or or vice versa. Yeah. Um, and you get some interesting dynamic changes on that. There's a, and I'm totally forgetting what's the Springsteen song that I think it was Patti Smith made most famous because the night because the night. Yeah, her version ended up being more famous yeah. than his. And then, uh, um, and then. 10,000 Maniacs did it on MTV Unplugged and really made it famous. Yeah. So that's that's one that's sort of ricocheted. Frank's nodding. He actually hey, knows that song. I remember that one. That's and you thought that was a Ten Thousand Maniacs original? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, I think, it's maybe originally on Darkness on the Edge of Town. Yeah. And Way then back, and, and then the Patti Smith version, I think, was a much bigger hit. Or was the one I grew up listening to even before I started listening to Springsteen. Then you go back and listen to the Springsteen version, and then Ten Thousand Maniacs come along and, and do it on that MTV Unplugged. And on that same line, if you've got the category of songs people don't realize are covers, probably my number one is Manfred Mann, um, Blinded by the Light. Which is a Springsteen Springsteen song. She was blinded by the light. One of his pre-Born yeah. uh, to Run albums. Blinded by the oh, yep. yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, the song. Just... Yeah. Of course, um, I loved it when I was six years old and didn't understand any of the words. Right. <laughs> Wrapped up like a deuce? I don't know what that means. <laughs> right. So what we're going to do now, we, th- we thought we'd go into uh, Sweeper and I each picked uh, five covers um, that we particularly like and I have we want to talk about. You have, more. <laughs> you have more. I have five, although I could go to more. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of run through a few of these. We'll do a little bit of a lightning round, but we may get bogged down here and there. And then what we'll do is when we're done, um, when we're finished with this, we're going to put all of them onto a playlist on mm-hmm. iTunes. And we will link and share that link in the in the podcast notes. But um, – uh, the idea would be just to kind of hit some favorites, and and I'll I'll start off here, and this is, um, this was one that really kind of uh, blew my mind when I first heard it, and that was the the Atari's cover of uh, Don Henley's Boys of Summer, which came out. I think their version came out in maybe '01, mm-hmm. and they were, by my best accounting, um, kind of an early emo punk band, um, which never did much else, as far as I've been able to tell. But that 
taken that Don Henley song, which is very much, you know, the kind of song that plays endlessly on, on Channel 32 on, on Sirius XM on the bridge, um, and turning it into a punk dirge, um, just did something completely different to that song. And they, they speed it up by about, you know, 30 to 90 seconds mm-hmm. um, and zip through it. And it's got a ton of energy to it that is not in the original uh, that I like a lot. That to me is is one that shows. One of the things is it, it hits another thing we're going to come back to, which is how the dirty secret of punk music is that sort of emo underbelly of like emotionalism or nostalgia or whatever. And that is one of the most bleedingly nostalgic songs ever written, uh, that the Henley original. And then they other do they they do a couple of other things in there. One is they change the Grateful Dead sticker on the Cadillac oh, to right. a black flag that's sticker, right. got a black which is a, a great a which is a great touch. Yeah. And, um, and then the other thing is he does, uh, the lead singer, whose name I don't know, does this thing at the end where he kind of comes up and over on the final chorus um, and lets you know that the song's about to end that, that Henley never, Henley just sort of sang it flat all the way through. Yeah. And that's kind of a nice little touch as well. So they, they kind of made it their own in a way as well. I've already talked about Johnny Cash doing Nine Inch Nails Hurt. And also, if you can ever see the video, just go YouTube. It's just brutal. Um, June Carter had just passed, and ugh. But it, Johnny's it's old. And Johnny's old, and, and it's truly, I mean, he's there on his empire of dirt. and ugh. So I'm going to come back with um, Hey Ya, <laughs> um, originally by Outkast, yeah. but by a singer-songwriter named Obadiah Parker. It's just him on guitar. Frank's I know, nodding I'm like saying, I know this. About Does he this. have a big beard? Uh, probably. He's probably. Gonna say, probably I, a lumber I think sexual. I saw a uh, like a YouTube video of that, and he was playing it live someplace, and I was like, "Holy crap, that's really good!" But I never could find it again because I never knew the dude's name. And here's why I think it's so brilliant: um, he turns it into basically a folk ballad, and for the first time, I actually listened to the words and realized that you know Andre 3000 and Big Boy wrote in a frighteningly deep song that's actually very sad and and he brings out the emotion in it versus you know it you know you just think of kind of the the pop beat and the yeah. shake it like a polaroid picture but he it's a deep song and so that's what I love about a cover like that where he can just just on the acoustic kind of wrench the meaning out of it my baby don't mess around because she loves me so and this I know for sure But does she really wanna but can't stand to see me walk out the door 
can't stand to fight the feeling Cause the thought alone is killing me right now I thank God for mom and dad for sticking two together Cause we don't know how All right, so I'm going to come back with, and this is my example. I, I put this one forward to my daughter, actually. Um, we played the original, and then we played the cover. Um, and this would be Whitney Houston covering Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You. Another example of people probably not realizing yeah. Dolly wrote it, Dolly yeah. recorded it. Yeah, Dolly wrote it and recorded it back in the 70s or 80s, mm-hmm. not sure when. And then Whitney, it was the power ballad for the multi-million platinum selling soundtrack of the movie The Bodyguard that she did with Kevin Costner, which I think was one of her only starring movie roles. Yeah. Um, and she... She owns that oh, shit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that was what I said to my daughter. I said, I, I'm not, you will never see anybody take a song and take ownership of a song like she does. And and you go back and you listen to the Dolly Parton original, um, and the Dolly Parton original is a really nice little song. Yeah. Um, and then there's this part in the middle of it where Dolly, this sort of spoken interlude. That's sweet. And then you think about and listen to the, the Whitney version immediately afterward, and they're like, she just took your song from yeah. you, honey. I mean, that's a diva right there, right? And on the Foo Fighter Sonic Highway documentaries, the Nashville one, Dolly tells this great story about how she came this close to Elvis covering it. And she's a young and upcoming singer. She's okay, so this it. must have been. In, she must have written it in the sixties. Oh yeah, she was. 70s, she was probably no. I mean, this is probably early seventies. So she's, you know, she's in her early twenties, just in Nashville as a budding singer songwriter. And and apparently, Colonel Tom Parker, yeah. Elvis's manager, who got you know got his way, called her and said, "You want to come down to the studio tomorrow and you know be there when Elvis records your song?" And yes, of course, Colonel. I will. Um, and then he said, now, just so you're, we're straight, you know, even when Elvis is, take, is using somebody else's song, we, re, we um, take all the publishing rights to it. And apparently little 20-year-old Dolly Parton said, no, sir, I can't do that. This is all I got is the songs I write. So she turned them down. Apparently the colonel wasn't happy. Don't know about Elvis at the time. <laughs> and, and 25 years later... Whitney does it, and I, I'm going to bet that Dolly's made more money off Whitney's version than she has maybe off the rest of her catalog. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that, the thing I love about that, too, is, like, I mean, 
Whitney Houston, the ultimate diva, attend mm-hmm. all divas. But like Dolly Parton's no shrinking oh, violet herself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, Dolly Parton, strong, strong yeah. woman herself. But like what what Whitney did to that song. Um, I mean, similarly what she did to the Star Spangled Banner the year she sang it at, uh, at at the Super Bowl. But the the ownership of that song is just sort of blows you off off the off the and, mic. And Dolly got paid. And Dolly got paid. Yeah, good for Dolly. So I'm going to come back with a little different track here and go down some even though I think I claimed I didn't like Prague jazz on the first podcast um, um, but this one is there's a trio out there called the Bad Plus and they're basically a progressive jazz trio they're out there but they do a, they do jazz albums and on almost every album they will do a very interesting cover and they do they've done Tom Sawyer They've done Radio Cure by Wilco. Yeah. Um, they've done just enough. But the best one, and and we'll play it, is uh, they do Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit. And the a, am- a jazz trio. Jazz trio. But the amazing <laughs> thing is it checking. literally starts out with just that upright bass playing that dom. And the thing I love about it is when you first – I play it for people and say, what's this song? And it takes them about 15 seconds. Once it goes through about three times through, about three, four measures in, once they hear and get that dong, 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 then they realize, holy cow, this is it. And then it just takes it off into this crazy direction, but it's awesome. So, so I, and there's three covers to listen to from those guys, right? Oh yeah, and there's yeah. actually more. There's even more yeah. than that. Yeah. Even more than that. All right. So, a prog jazz trio that you kind of enjoy. I do. Okay. All right. Well, um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back with another punk band actually for this one, which was um, and actually a band that most people don't think of as punk, which is. Uh, the Goo Goo Dolls, who went main, very much mainstream in the mid to late 90s and became kind of the avatars of that, you know, rock pop intersection that they've now got a whole channel for on Sirius XM. Um, but before they went mainstream and started doing soundtrack songs, they were actually kind of a legit punk outfit. They were the next um, replacements. Yeah, yeah. And so and they uh, so they put out a couple albums back in the early 90s that I listened to when I was in college. Um Boy Called Goo? There was Boy Called Goo, and there was one called Hold Me Up. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, on Hold Me Up, I think it is, they cover uh, the Plimsolls song from the 80s, Million Miles Away, um, which I had honestly never heard the Plimsolls version um, when I first heard their version of it, and I thought it was just the greatest song ever, um, and then found out, oh, well, there was actually, there was actually a cover. Um, but that's another case of like, and, and you could see that that's the thing about the Goo Goo Dolls was they were, there was clearly a pop act waiting to get out of that, that punk act. 
um, similar to, the, you know, the front bottoms kind of remind me of, of the Goo Goo Dolls mm-hmm. occasionally, another band that Chuck and I listen to, where there's sort of this beating pop soul underneath the, the punk exterior. But um, but th- that that song, more than anything, you can kind of, they take it and they speed it up a little bit, um, and they make it a little bit harder and a little bit edgier, and, and uh, it's, it's a nice version of that song. I like that a lot. So begs the question, yeah. which I have begged this question before, if you don't know it's a cover, if it's like you were saying, it's yeah. kind of a minor Pimsoles song from the 80s, where does that fall in kind of the cover scale? Because, you know, it's interesting, R.E.M. Superman mm-hmm. is a cover. I did not know. By that. a band called The Click, I think. It was like a 19, like 69, 70 song, but like nobody knows that, so they assume it's theirs. Everybody, yeah. And and um, not to go off on a uh, ball squatters tangent, but mm-hmm. we actually we I have a fe- I have a theory that we need to play one solid cover at every show for the people who show which up. Which you often do. We try. Which the people for the people in the back who show up who aren't necessarily there to because they know us or like us or but they're there. <laughs> I appreciate it. So we got to throw them something. Yeah. But then we always go down this argument within the band of. Songs that we want to play, songs that we want to cover, but if no one knows what the song is, do they know it's a cover? Mm. So we've done everything from, we've done Pretty in Pink by the Psychedelic Furs. Yep. People knew that. We've done Porch Song, Widespread. Some people knew that. One time Charles had us learn Little Fern by Portostatic. Nobody knew that. Nobody knew that, yeah. um, But we played it well. What was the, uh, you guys did one from Out of Time one one time. Uh, Charles and I did, just the two of us did uh, Country Feedback. Country Feedback, yeah. Um, we did a Wilco song, Kingpin, um, and then we do Soda Jerk, which is kind of a go-to for us. And yeah. I think half the people might know that one. It's a Buffalo Tom song. It's a great song. And it's one of those songs where people, when they hear it, it's one of those songs when you hear it, you'll remember having heard it on the radio. And then we do, you know, we always, we do like the outro to Man in the Mountains, like Better Man, which I throw out there because I think people are like, oh my gosh, I don't know these guys, but I know this song. So the last two I remember you all doing, the last couple of shows I've been to, one when you had um, when you had the girl singing with you for 27 songs, you guys did, did, you did uh, a Go-Go's cover. Our Lips Are Sealed, you're absolutely right. And then I think the last time I saw you all play, you did Video Kill the Radio Star. You're absolutely right. Both, but, and, and I, and, uh, but I was thinking of you all earlier when you were talking about that issue of sort of kitsch versus mm-hmm. legitimate tribute. And what I like about the way you guys handle it is I think for a lot of people, like Video Kill the Radio Star is famous for being the first song they ever played on MTV. The Buggles never did another thing that anybody ever listened to, et cetera. It's still a great freaking song. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that and to me that was the beauty of it was you guys playing it was like you know what this is a really good song yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't kitschy in any way it was fun for all of us who hadn't who loved the song and it brings back it's memories a of our childhood but it's a great song. Yeah. Um, and that to me that line that you pointed out where you know we're not doing this because we're slumming or mm-hmm. something like that but we're doing it because hey this is a great song and it's fun to play it. We've actually, the other one is we've actually covered, I actually thought pretty well. Um, 
U2's With or Without You solely because we had a guest guitarist at this one show, Richard Bolton in Raleigh, who could who play, could play the edges perfectly, <laughs> like perfectly. He had the pedals, he had the effects, and we were like, he can play it, so we'll all try to, we'll all learn the song just try because it. he knows how to play the impossible parts. So we pulled it off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's your turn. Um, I'm going to jump in with Aretha Franklin does Bridge Over Troubled Water. pretty amazing because it's you know obviously Simon Garfunkel song and it's written by this kind of nebbish you know Jewish New Yorker yeah. you know and she turns it into a church spiritual wow and if you think about the song I mean it's a pretty deep song yeah um but for her to stand up there and she plays it they've got the organ um and obviously it's Aretha she can just belt out I mean she could mm-hmm you know sing the phone book and but she truly brings she she turns it into um she brings out the soul of the song that i think even the songwriter i mean even paul simon couldn't do the way she can well because there's there's soul in that song yeah. but it's it, the the original version of it is way too soft and funky yeah. to get there which yeah. is you know and, and it's my understanding that paul simon even's like holy cow like she did it right so interesting <laughs> So for my next one, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna talk about uh, Ryan Adams and the, the cover album. He covered Taylor Swift's entire 1989 album a couple of years ago, start to finish. Start to really? finish. Yeah. Um, and it was and and you and I, Chuck, had had a great conversation about it because you had put uh, one of the originals from 1989 on the Christmas mix one year, and we came back the next year, and Adams came out with a cover yeah. album. And I was like, "Oh man, you got to put something from yeah. the Ryan Adams cover album on there." I think I, I put, think you put into the woods. You you put into the woods for from Taylor's hers. song, and then not New, "Welcome to New, New York, York" from yeah, his as the lead off of the 2015 Christmas yeah. mix. Yeah, and and he again, it's one of those things where you you listen to him cover it, and you're like, "Holy crap, she's an unbelievable songwriter!" Absolutely, and it and sometimes <laughs> it gets lost under the pop gloss or whatever. And I, We've talked about this before. I think in her case, it's been clear for a long time. And in fact, she's had a cover, a live cover on on a Christmas mix in the past. She's got, I mean, and you see YouTube videos of her. She played in Toronto. She covered Brian Adams, yeah. Summer of 69. He came out and sang with her and stuff like that. She's 
she's legit as a musician. Um, and, and, but, but listening to him, and, and the one I'll use for this one is um, his version of Wildest Dreams, um, which is sort of a big poppy song on, on 1989, on her version. And then he strips it back a little bit, and it becomes kind of deeply romantic in the way that only Ryan Adams can do. Um, and, and so I, I love the contrast between those two. I can see the end as it begins. I came around on Taylor Swift in 2011 and I put on the Christmas mix. She did a cover of Mumford and Sons' White Blank Page. Yeah. And it was her live in a BBC studio with her band and a fiddle and she slowed it down even more so than they play it. And it was just, it was kind of haunting and you got chills listening to it. And so then I was like, you know what, I, she's legit. Like, and this was when she was kind of making that kind of pop country over to the pop side and then 1989, her album comes out, and, I'm, and my daughters listen to it, and so I got to hear it, and I'm a big fan. And then is that the one that had like uh, "Shake It Off" and all that on yep. there? Or is that yeah? Uh, it had like seven hits. Yeah. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. "Shake uh, It Off," "Into the Woods," uh, "Bad Out Blood," sorry. Okay. "Bad Blood,", Bad blood. Um, but then Ryan Adams comes. You know, Ryan Adams has his own slew of covers. He does an yeah. amazing version of "Wonderwall" by Oasis. Yeah. Um, but then when he came. I'm just basically saying what Tim just said. Him doing it from start to finish brought out the fact that those were all amazing songs she wrote, and she is an amazing songwriter. Yeah. 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 So, all right. Um, I'm going to jump into probably what I think might be arguably the greatest cover of all time. Whoa. Bam. I've wow. just thrown it down. Like, I mean, we might just have to shut this down. I was going to say, if we had a commercial break, I this is where we put it. I had one more to go. <laughs> Um, the Beatles, We Can Work It Out. That's a cover? No. Oh. But done by Stevie Wonder. Oh. Oh, just starts out with an organ and he just, he souls it up. Oh, it's, I mean, he basically turns it into an R&B song. It's awesome. Wow. Yep. Wow. That's uh, that. That's mind blowing. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, well, so I'm gonna. I, I got my last one here, and and this actually. So there, there's a little story behind this, which was um, uh, speaking of covering another person's entire album and going back to Bob Dylan from earlier. Uh, Old Crow did a tour a couple years ago. It was the 50th anniversary of Dylan's Blonde on Blonde album. And they did a tour where they covered Blonde on Blonde from start to finish. They come out and just play the whole album. So we saw them over at Ovens Auditorium, my wife Sarah and I. Um, this would have been October of 17 now, I guess. Um, and they come out. And and so I'd been prepping for this show. And I I downloaded Blonde on Blonde and had been listening to it. And... Visions of Joanna, yep, absolutely. Rainy Day Woman, yep, got it. Had, that was one I'd heard many times over the years. 
Um, but there's this 10-minute song at the end of the album called Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands that I just cannot get into. And it's, it's Dylan at his slowest and mumbliest and most turgid and hard to find a melody in there. And, and 10 like, minutes? And it goes on for 10 minutes. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm I'm not getting it. I'm not and it's the kind of song that like you go online and you know, any good Dylanologist will have deconstructed the whole thing and have, you know, fifteen semiotic uh, theses written about the importance of sad eyed lady lowlands, but I was just like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'd I'll be interested to see what they do with this. And they come out and they knock it out of the park with that thing. They turn they found the melody buried in there in the Bob Dylan version, and it's freaking great yeah and uh, i mean they come out there and they they start up with the melody i'm like is this the same song and then they start singing it and it's lyrically it's a great song there's just some unbelievable classic dylan lines in there but they found the melody and they brought it up and we'll, we'll play a clip here um but it's fun and it's a rave up and it's it it becomes this fun rock and roll song And, and so what I really loved about it was to come back after that and then be able to listen to the Dylan version with a new appreciation. I, I still, it's in, you know, Chuck, you and I have gone back and forth on this a little bit. I, I think you, you, like, you find a little more to like in the Dylan version than I do. Although my, I'll admit, my hearing is not the best in the world, so I, I think I probably miss layers of songs sometimes. But, um, but I, I will say having the, the Old Crow version let me go back and listen to the Dylan version and appreciate it in a new way. And to me, that's the best kind of feedback between a cover, um, a great cover, and, and, and an original song is it, they reflect back on each other and they each become greater in the process of, of that dialogue. That's a very good way to put it. Thank you. I've thought about it. So I actually went back, I actually went back in a... Um went through all the Christmas mixes and just pulled out, you know, there was a time there where actually, apparently I was really into covers. <laughs> it was like, you know, Wagon Wheel in 2004, Ocean Breeze Salty, which is Sun Kill Moon doing a Modest Mouse song in 2005. Uh, One of my the f- Modest Mouse song couldn't have been more than two or three years old at that time. Mm, yeah. yeah. And he came out and did it slowed down, pure acoustic. Oh, and then one of my favorite ones, um, Flank, Frank Black doing Springsteen's I'm Going Down Yep. in 2006. Yep. Um, and then there's a bunch of like, there's a web of kind of Gnarls Barkley, CeeLo Green things. So um, Ray, La, Ray La Matanya, I can never say yep. his name right, yep. does Crazy. Yes. Does an acoustic version of Crazy. Of the Seal song. Of the no of the no. no of the Gnarls Barkley song. Oh, the Gnarls Barkley song. Okay. Um, in two thousand six, but then I also have where CeeLo does. I've got a on there CeeLo doing Band of Horses. No one's ever gonna, no one's going to love you. Yep. Um, and then 
another one. Oh, and then he also does a version of like the Violent Femmes, Gone, Daddy Gone. Um, and I think he's on there somewhere else. There was also, you went through a mashup period here went as well. Went up mashup, which is a, that's a podcast in and of oh, itself. Because oh, yeah. um, yeah. those, because I don't know if you can call those covers because it's really not. Because it's, right. it's uh, but then kind of like that, like, you know, Mike Doty doing Sunshine, which is yes. basically kind of a cover of John Denver, but he yeah. adds a whole, he adds a whole, lays down basically, a, you know, a rhyme over it. The the Doty cover that I thought of including on my list that's I think on that same album is uh, his cover of the Gambler. Oh yeah, which yeah. is uh, you know it, it, I'm not sure it qualifies on he doesn't bring that much new to yeah. it, but it's just a reminder what a great song that yeah, is. Absolutely, yeah, that's yeah. Um, just looking at a few of these others, um, Crooked Fingers doing Gentle on My Mind, which Chris Christopherson made famous. I forget who actually wrote it. It wasn't him. Lily Allen doing um, The Clash is Straight to Hell mm-hmm. and putting kind of a beat to it. Yep. Um, Beth Orton doing Ooh Child by The Five Stair Steps, which is just yeah. this kind of sad but soulful song, and she just turns it into a sad song. <laughs> you know. Is that the one like the things are going to get easier? Yes. Or that? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the way she does it just, oh, it gets dusty every time. <laughs> um the Afghan Whigs doing Frank Ocean's Love Crimes. Um, Bob Schneider doing Running on Empty, doing Jackson Brown's Running uh, on that's Empty. Awesome. Oh, talk about another one that just kind of gets me right there. Um, oh, and this one was kind of a mashup cover, but The Prophets of, of Rage. That which was is, a really good one. Which is Chuck D and Flavor Flav from um, Public, Public Enemy, Enemy, along with Cypress Hill, with Tom Morello the drummer and the bassist from um, Rage Against the Machine, and they do No Sleep Till Cleveland, which was basically a cover-slash-mashup of No No Sleep Sleep Till Brooklyn by the Beastie Boys and Fight the Power by Public Enemy. And it was like when the RNC convention was in Cleveland that summer, so they were making their statement as well. Um, Dwight Yoakam doing Purple Rain. Yeah. Um, Sturgill doing Sturgill. Nirvana's In Bloom. And the, the one, the, the Sturgill one I would want to highlight, which has also been on the Christmas mix, is he did a, 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 a cover of a song called The Promise um, that I don't think you knew the original. I didn't. I, I, know, I remember the, it now. The original is a, a sappy late 80s pop when hit in by, Rome? by a band called When in yeah. Rome. Yeah, and, and it's awesome. <laughs> and it's awesome. And it's awesome. But he finds just a whole new depth in it. Like he strips away all the 80s synth pop stuff that, hmm. you know, we know is great. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but yeah, that's Sturgill. Sturgill may be, I mean, modern day practicing cover masters. Yeah. He may be among the, the top five. And then, uh, you know, a few others I just throw out um, on Jane's Addiction's first album, which was four mm-hmm. or five studio songs and then four or five live songs. This for Nothing Shocking came out. This was their first, first album. They do live, they go from the Velvet Underground, Lou Reed's. Um, rock and roll hmm. into this this kind of bluesy, spooky, sexy, kind of almost evil version of sympathy for the devil. They just call it sympathy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and Navarro does this anyway. It, that that's up there. Um, I can't get no satisfaction by the Stones has been covered. I think amazingly twice. One was the Devo version, yeah, which is with that funky syncopated beat, and then 
Cat Power does this amazing um, cover. It's just her on acoustic guitar, and she never sings the chorus. She just sings verse after verse after verse, and but never says, "I can't get no satisfaction," but which doesn't know, give you the satisfaction. Which doesn't give you the, the satisfaction. Um, and then, um, uh, John Prine's "Angel from Montgomery." Um, Bonnie Raitt made it famous, yep. really. And then Dave Matthews played it live tons. That's actually I, I'm embarrassed to say, like I heard the Dave Matthews version before I heard the Bonnie Raitt version yeah. before I heard the John Prine version. Um, so, so let me ask you this. Sweeper, in in your opinion, is there is there any song that is uncoverable? Is there any song that is so deeply owned by the original artist as to make it uncoverable? Wow. Um. Man, I gotta think about that. Man, I I don't know. Um, I'll say I never thought anybody could do "Total Eclipse of the Heart," right, but. Then came along the Dan Band, <laughs> which I consider one of the greatest covers of all time, complete with f bombs. <laughs> well, and it may—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm willing to concede to that. It, it like there is an aspect to the whole idea of the Great American Songbook that you know every song gets passed yeah. around, right? I mean, prior to recording, songs were just oral traditions that were passed on. I had a, a guy I worked with at the AP. Years ago, one of our national writers who wrote a book about, um, oh, what's the song? Um, the song that's been recorded more different ways by more different people than anything else, um, House, of, uh, House of the Rising Sun. Oh, yeah. And he wrote a whole book about all the different versions of House of the Rising Sun that are out like, there. Like, when I heard Chris Cornell do Billie Jean, yeah. like, that's when I was like, all right, like, everything's you can, coverable. Everything, everything is coverable. Okay. Like, you can, um, uh, you know, we talked about the Beatles have been covered plenty. Um, you sent me a couple of uh, of covers of Bono doing stuff that kind of blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, um, like Bono does on one of them. Bono does does he do I Am the Walrus? Um, Gomez does Getting Better. Elvis yeah. did Hey Jude. Yeah. Um, Cheap Trick did Magical Mystery Tour. So maybe that's um, maybe that's it's just part of the ongoing conversation between and among musicians and the way the the tradition gets carried forward. I mean, Nickel Creek, the bluegrass band, covered "Pavement." Yeah. Spit on a stranger. Yeah. I mean, literally, and they made it their own, and it yeah. was awesome. And like, you never thought that a mandolin could, you know, <laughs> play indie. Um, but yeah. 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 All right. I think I think that's that's going to be a wrap for this one. We uh, I think we've exhausted this topic. Although what we're hoping is that you're going to be like I cannot believe that they didn't talk about yep. this cover song, and then you will write us an email at linerpodcast at gmail dot com and or, tell us what we missed out on, and or tweet at us, or tweet or, at us, or but tell us what we missed out on. Yeah, tell us what we missed out on, and who knows? Maybe we'll come back and do a, another show about the uh, the missing ones, or we'll tell you no, or we'll tell you no, that sucks. actually sucked. <laughs> yeah, he didn't show the proper respect yeah, for the source didn't. material. It was come kitschy. On. It was wink, wink. <laughs> it was Weezer doing Africa. Africa.